Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who gather each week to be an inquiry and dialogue on living the spiritual life. We're all on the spiritual path, growing in our understanding of ourselves and others, and moving from being complainers to being empowered to simply being. We know that we can't change the world unless we change ourselves. Welcome to the forum. Welcome to the Spiritual Forum, everyone. We're so glad you're here. Oh, what am I going to tell you to do today? Um, I guess I want to remind you to share this podcast with your friends and family and get the word out that it's a really interesting conversation about spiritual living and all sorts of different topics. And if you want to receive a newsletter from me, um, you should get on thespiritualforum.org and go ahead and uh, click subscribe, and get a, and you'll be getting a regular newsletter every time a podcast episode comes out. So that's all I have for introductory comments. I want to introduce you to my wonderful guest today, Padma Menon. She's a dancer and a philosopher. Padma is a pioneer in reviving the ancient practice of dance contemplation. She helps people seeking to reclaim their sacred selves by generously sharing her lifetime knowledge of sacred Indian dance, philosophy, and ritual so that people can experience unconditional freedom, taste their true essence, and move in this world in a sacred way. Padma is also the founder of Moving Archetypes. That's her website. And Moving Archetypes is dedicated to revitalizing the ancient and alchemical practice of dance contemplation. And it looks like the tagline that's on your website is Ancient Goddess Wisdom Practiced Through Indian Dance. <laughs> I just love all of that. And I got most of that from your web website. So I just want to first welcome you, Padma, for coming on today and really look forward to talking with you. I'm so honored to be here, Reverend Carol. I've been listening to some of your podcasts, and I love the way in which you hold space, what you bring to it, the way in which uh, what you say is both emotional, spiritual, um, intellectual, and the kind of people that you have on. So I'm really honored to be here. Looking forward to our chat. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. And I appreciate your listening. <laughs> I think it also gives you an idea of what's going to happen today. So um, I, I really would like to start by help allowing you to tell your story, your story about dance, your story, your spiritual story, or whatever whatever got you to, to where you are today. Uh, I was born and raised in India and uh, lived for my first 21 years in India. I started dancing at a very early age. Um, in fact, I was uh, known as what is, you know, what's called a child prodigy. Um, so I started performing at the age of nine. Uh, the reason I say that is dance came to me even before I was aware of what it was. It was something that was, um, I, I call it my mother tongue because it's something that's, that was there. In fact, it's more um, essential to me than spoken language. Dance is something that is deeper than, than verbal and spoken languages, including my own Indian uh, mother tongue language of uh, Malayalam. Uh, I was also fortunate to be with a teacher who was one uh, a master in an ancient lineage. He was the 10th generation dancer in his family. And he brought a very, um, I would say, a magical 
dimension to the dance because he really embodied to me how dance could be something that is ancient, something that uh, connects us across time and space. And not that I knew about all this when I was very young, but I sensed something other in his dance. And I can say that really the rest of my life was spent exploring what is this other dimension of dance that I sensed but didn't quite know at the at the time I was very young. So I had a beautiful performing career, but I realized very early on that I didn't just want to be performing again and again, the spectacle, no matter how successful it was. And I, I really was honored with the success, but I just felt that um, there was something missing in just the performing. Um, I, I came to Australia also when I was very young, 21, 22. Um, I was in an arranged marriage, which <clears throat> didn't uh, didn't work out. And so here I was in a, in a different country where I had never expected to be. Um, and the dancing took on a, a different role. It became much more marginalized and exotic, whereas, you know, in India I was a mainstream performer. And that brought a, a very different consciousness about what is it that I'm doing? Why do I do this? Uh, what is the place of dance in this culture that I'm in now, in this land that I'm in now? And that's been my quest is what makes this dance spiritual? Is it the story? Is it the movement? What is the spiritual dimension of dance? And uh, I, I lived in the Netherlands for a long time. I was working as a choreographer, but um, every every stage of my journey was a deepening about this quest of really um, getting a sense of what is this kind of dance? What do we mean by dance as a ritual? What do we mean by dance that is about consciousness, about transformation? And I can say that it's probably in the last 10 years that um, I've come to a certain space where I feel, oh, I can see this constellation now. I can see what makes up this constellation that I call dance contemplation. Um, what kind of body do we need? What, do, what is the state of being? What is the intention that we bring into it? What is the nature of the physicality? Because not all dance is contemplative dance and it, need, it needn't be. Dance can be for many different reasons and all of it is beautiful. But when dance is an inquiry, a spiritual inquiry, a contemplation, it has a particular uh, physicality. It's a, kind, it's a particular kind of language. So that's what I do now is I'm very committed and passionate about sharing this practice. And I call it also, I'm increasingly beginning to call it body-led spirituality because I feel like over the centuries across the world, in so many domains, we have rejected the body. We've, you know, we speak of transcending body uh, we speak of being out of the body. It's like the, the value is all about being out of the body. And yet, I think it's so important to tether spirituality and our life in the material side of our body, because it is through our body that we connect to earth, connect to nature. And I feel like it's the disconnection with the body that's at the, um, the foundation of the way in which we experience our disconnection with earth, with each mm -hmm. other especially in the times we live in. So this body-led spiritual inquiry has really become a passion for me. So interesting. I, I want to I capitalize on a couple points there. First of all, 
the way you describe your childhood is interesting. It's almost like you came in as a soul that it's almost like you came into the planet like like movement to that you 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 knew this was was your life passion in some way, even as a young child. It, you know, like I think that's just so interesting. And I think I think some of us have a sense of spirituality or that we have a sense of something beyond us as a child, or we have a connection to nature. But this uh, this idea that that dance or movement of the body was closer to you than than language is really fascinating. Yes, Reverend Carol, it was an interesting thing because uh, from my teacher said to me, he said to me once, he said, "Dance is um, something that you've inherited." He told me, and it, he wasn't meaning inherited from him. He said mm-hmm. it's something that's come to you. And you don't own it. So that was a sense of, you know, don't feel like this is my talent. And, uh, you know, I own this. So he said, you, you just have a responsibility to do it. And you do have a responsibility to do it because it's come to you. And those words have really stayed with me. And I know that there are times in my life I've struggled with it. I've actually left dancing for years um, and I've felt, literally, I have felt that I have been rendered spe- without speech. And I remember that after, uh, there was a period in my life where I didn't dance and I went and did lots of other things. I ran not-for-profit organizations and it was a valuable experience of being in the world. And I was raising two children as a single mother. But, um, and I remember sitting in a counselor's room and I hadn't spoken about dance. I hadn't seen dance for a while. And I started speaking to her and I then and she said to me, you know, what's what's missing? What do you feel is missing? And I said, I, I feel like I have I don't have speech. And I, st- I just burst into tears. I said, oh, without wow. the dancing, I feel I am invisible in, in not in the sense of being out in the spectacle. But I feel like I, I don't I'm not speaking. I'm, I'm dumb without the dance. And, and that's when I realized that it's something um, other. It's something, yeah, as you said, it's something that comes to you through time, you know, across time and space. And I, and I feel like the reason why so many ancient cultures, dance was the primary uh, spiritual expression is because there's something in dance that absolutely transcends time and space. It, in dance as ritual, it can really connect you. It's like you're dancing in the bodies of these women who were dancing, th- you know, thousands of years ago. You really it's feel like, it's that like the, immediacy. It's, it's, yeah, it sounds like the dance, like the dance exists, and you're opening yourself up to express the dance. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah, which is a lot different than the mechanistic way of learning learning certain positions or learning certain uh, certain ways to dance. This is like, oh, it sounds like it's just like opening yourself up fully to yes. the dance. Like yes. the dance is spirit. Yes. The dance, it's like the, da- yeah, absolutely beautifully put. I can't put it any better. It is like you receive it. Yeah. And and in the dance practice, that's what it's called. It's called you, your the first state of being you bring in is called yajna. And that yajna means an offering. So you offer and the dance is an offering and you meet that. Your body meets that. When you come with a state of offering, which is without self-interest, 
and without a sense of past and time, you know, without sense of mastery, wanting to learn it as a technique, being instrumental about it, if you just receive it, it, it comes to you. That's beautiful. Now, the years that you didn't dance, was that, was that really just because you were, got caught up in raising kids and making money and that kind of thing? Or was it a conscious decision to put that aside for some time? Um, I think it was a bit of both, but there was also uh, my sense that I, I was pushing the boundaries of dance. I was pushing the boundaries of dance to find out how is this a philosophical inquiry? How is this a spiritual inquiry? And I, f I feel like I, I reached the limits of it as dance as we do, as we normally do as a performance. And, and while I say that there's, like I said, there's nothing wrong. I think multiplicity is wonderful that I'd rather that people dance than not dance. Any dance is better than no dancing. So all sorts of dance is fine. But for me, that dance as a, as a, an inquiry, a spiritual inquiry, a philosophical inquiry, I felt like I had reached the limits. And then I went into this uh, time in my life where I was really studying philosophy from traditional teachers in India, um, which is more like an inquiry. So it's not as an academic study, not as an analytical study, but very much as a lived inquiry. So I had this long dialogue for many years with um, traditional teachers exploring philosophy, particularly the body-led traditions, um, or, or at least traditions that were centered around the body. And, uh, and so during that time, I was also raising um, two, two children. And there was, yes, there was a, a way I needed to make a living. But it, it also allowed me, like I said, to be out in the real world and to explore other work and how other people lived and what was important to them. And I think that was a beautifully valuable experience for me. Also raising children, what is it to be uh, in, a, in that family situation? Because again, I feel like we think spirituality is somehow separate from all that. And, and yet mm -hmm. some of the seminal traditions of India, including the Bhagavad Gita, is about being in the world right in the middle of the battle. And how do you, how is spirituality a lived, um, acting, moving, sensory um, experience? Because that's what real life is. We live in our bodies. We are sensory beings. We have to act. We have to do things. And how does all of that uh, become spiritual? And so that was a beautiful time, even though it was difficult. Uh, it was also a very beautiful time to, to not be this artist anymore and to be out there doing work like everyone else, bringing up children and going through those experiences of being a woman. You probably also got a sense of the kinds of people who would come to you um, to learn dance. You know, yes. You know. <laughs> yes. And when, when I work with women, which I do in my individual program I, I, and, and in my group programs, yeah, I, their experiences resonate with me. The experience of being a mother, of working, of being a single mother, a wife, it, it, it resonates with me. I know what it is to, to live in the world in those roles. Yeah, I think this conversation is so important um, because when you, when you look at like Western spirituality, there's a lot of, of detachment from the body, like you mentioned. There's, there's a lot of things like reading or 
sitting and praying or even, you know, meditating. And, 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 you know, there's, it's not like you're out of the body doing that, but you're certainly not in movement and you're not, you're not, and actually when the body moves is when you're really conscious of it. Um, like I did, you, you mentioned about listening to the whole body prayer podcast or YouTube video before you came on. And I've been doing that practice, his whole body prayer. And what's interesting about that is I, I, when I'm finished with it, I feel my body. It's interesting. It's like I'm, I'm doing it for five or 10 minutes and it's, I am feeling my body, but then it's like suddenly it feels like all my awareness is in my body. And then I take a walk and I take a walk out on in nature and all of the trees and everything just feels different because I think my awareness is in my body. But my awareness is not in my body when I'm doing so many others, so many other classical spiritual things. And so that's why I'm so intrigued by this, this conversation about dance. I think, like you said, I think, I think, you know, we see these, uh, they're, they're maybe pictographs, but how people would like, uh, the dance around the fire, the, you know, the, the tribal people would, would dance. And I think they would communicate through dance. Like they'd tell their stories through dance. And we've gotten so verbal. We've gotten so in our heads that we, it's almost like our heads are chopped off. So this is why I'm so intrigued about the work that you're doing and, and how you're, you're helping people. I mean, I know you may have a different theology. It doesn't really matter. I think God shows up in lots of different ways, the divine, but you're experiencing, you're experiencing the divine, but you're expressing the divine through this uh, activity. I don't even think I'd call it a modality, this activity. Um, so let's talk about dance contemplation and the archetypes. Um, oh gosh, there's so many things I want to talk about, uh, and and how you what you how you teach people or what you do when what 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 do you do? I mean, you not as a performer. What do you do to help people em- embrace this? There's so many things about um, your reflection there, Reverend Carol, which. Uh, go to the heart of of the practice and the heart of why I do this. Um, so with dance contemplation, uh, there are I call it a constellation because there are many dimensions to it. So when you mentioned the theology, uh, it's it's interesting because the reason why I call it archetypes is also to open it up a bit to this mental. Um, you know, away from the mental uh, way in which we gather something and we make it into a closed system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we think of deities, when we think of systems, when we think of philosophies, the mind is a way of making everything known. And the way we make everything known is also we just limit it. You know, when we speak of mastery, it's a finite thing. We always want to get something and just kind of get to know it and and that's it. Let's move on to the next thing. But an experience is infinite because reality is infinite. The body is infinite. So what, what I have found over years of practice and also through studying a lot of uh, these ancient traditions, and this is not just in India, but there is this uh, intelligence about what is the mental consciousness and what is a body-led consciousness, and they are slightly different things because the mind exists in time. 
the mind, the, in fact, the, the mind isn't there without time. The paradigm of time is what really gives rise to the mind. And so the mind's lenses are linear. Uh, we look at the past, present, future. We have duality. So the mind is always about separating, labeling, fragmenting, differentiating. And that is a very useful intelligence to have. Mm -hmm. However, it's not a very useful intelligence in terms of uh, a for us to experience all of reality, because reality isn't only linear and and do in and in, in duality, and this is where this body-led consciousness, the lenses of the body, are very different to the lenses of the mind. So the lenses of the body are things like movement, weight, shape, space, form. So this is how this is how the bodies and senses. The senses are a very important aspect of our, of the body's intelligence. And when we think it, that the body is completely roadmapped by the mind, so even in the traditions that say that they're using their bodies, they are actually using the body to follow a template or roadmap of the mind. Again, nothing wrong with that. But, and even, even dance can be like that. A lot of the dance is we choreograph something or we have a set kind of template, which we then manifest in the body or the body follows. But in this tradition, there is a very different relationship between form and how we encounter that form. And this is that yajna state. When we come in with that, the state of yajna, in fact, dance itself is called a yajna. So it, the whole of the practice is really about us le learning or opening ourselves up to be free of time, to be... Mm -hmm. Uh, to allow the movement to emerge from the dynamics of the body, from our, from our weight, from connecting that weight. So when I say weight, I use it in a very particular way here. I mean, all our bodies have weight and movement is, you know, weight is an important component of movement, just like shape is, um, or, or just like um, how we use that weight. Is it, are we using it with a certain force? Are we using it lightly? So that's what, that's what I mean by weight. And the weight connecting us to the earth, to the gravity of the earth, the attachment to the earth, it's a very simple thing, but it's completely transformative. It really brings a very different intelligence. It awakens an intelligence in the body, which is far more expansive than a mind-led intelligence. And the thing about the body-led intelligence is that there is no hierarchy. So while I say body-led, I say that to distinguish it from the way in which we live now, which is mind-led. But when we are leading with the body, the mind and the body, they have an equal space. Uh, the mind finds its rightful movement within that, in, within that larger intelligence. And absolutely, when I do this with the women, they speak of the things that you, you just shared with me. They, they, they tell me how it changes how they experience nature, particularly. Many of them say to me, suddenly it's like the cosmic becomes intimate. Um, it, the trees, the, it, you know, it's like there's everything is vibrating with something more intense and more alive. And we become much more alive in our senses. We, we've got this gift of senses. And yet for centuries, traditions tell us it's a bad thing. Um, it's a bad thing to yeah. enjoy beauty. 
And we feel so guilty about our desire, about our beauty and about enjoyment. And I think what happens with this disconnection with enjoyment is that it becomes something about consumption, about accumulation, because the desire never goes away. It just becomes something uh, projected out from us. Whereas it can be, if we learn to um, accept enjoyment, it's very simple. Some, it's just a walk outside. It's looking at the tree, the bird song. We don't have to go for that most expensive holiday somewhere or buy that most expensive thing. So I feel like uh, our, our inability to inquire into things that are, make us human, things that make us living beings, have led us to this kind of um, warped manifestations of all these attributes. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're covering, um, it almost sounds like <laughs> the solution to all of our problems, <laughs> you know, the disconnection from each other, the disconnection from ourselves, the disconnection yes. from our body, the disconnection from the earth body, um, yes. the the complete, we're, we're just in such kind of um, disconnected relationship with animals and creatures and insects and everything, all of life, you know, we look at them as something we, and we don't really enjoy it. And, and, and maybe we all just need to dance. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, that's my solution. <laughs> I love this. Maybe we all just need to dance. Like instead of like starting something with a prayer or starting, starting school with a, a pledge or announcements, we just start with dance. I mean, what would, Think think about how life would be if we if we had this like part like an integrated part of our life, like we we didn't learn to dance. Like I took my I had three daughters and you know and I lived in Texas at the time, but I I took them all to you know do you want to do ballet or tap? We did this is a Western dance, and except for my youngest did belly dancing, um, and I did belly dancing too, which was a little more I think in the body than these others. But it's something that it's 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 so weird. It's like got a checklist on the Western mom's <laughs> list. You know, is are you interested in dance? Are you interested in you know softball? Are you interested in this? But it's it's like this is just like a natural. Like if if you, you came in with this complete fullness of of knowing that dance is something that's going to come through you, maybe all of us have that, but we've kind of cut it off. You know, maybe our culture's not not encouraging that. And so when we start to move, it's kind of like, you know, stop behaving that way versus, oh, keep moving. Um, but this just really seems like a great thing that we could really start early on and make as a regular practice. Yeah. And I think people are intimidated by dance. I know that uh, yeah. sometimes women come to me and say to me, you know, what, what, what intimidated me was the word dance. If you didn't use the word dance, Okay. I would have come to this much earlier. And so this yeah, I get is that. interesting. Like I'm yeah. not good at about dance. I'm not a dancer. Yes. I could see yeah. people would say that right off the bat. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and I have a, an interesting story that I was doing a workshop in Melbourne once and uh, there was a, a group of people there and one of them was uh, a, a, you know, a, a male academic and he, you know, he was sitting out there and when we started, I said to him, well, aren't you going to join us? And he was outraged. He said, oh, no, I just came here to watch it. I'm, I wouldn't dance. And it was like, but I'm an, you know, I'm an academic. I'm not a, you know, the dancing is seen as something that is 
very much lower down um, the you know the valued or the kind of you know the intellect is important and dance is something that is not of that caliber of intelligence and and yet dance the intelligence of dance is something other but it is an intelligence it's an absolutely absolutely um, a particular kind of intelligence and I know that when I work with women they actually say how that intelligence really brings them into a an archetypal insight into reality, into things that are happening around them. And they say that, they say, you know, they can almost sense a pattern in reality as a movement. And, and you know, this, this pattern intelligence, which is what dance was about, which is what archetypal traditions were always uh, firstly embodied traditions. And what has happened is we've separa separated archetypal traditions from their ritual. Ritual is always embodied. And, and now they become stories. And when they become stories, they lose the infinite possibilities. Right. They make, their stories are in your head. They're, they're like yes. a, a head experience. Yeah. Yeah. And they're linear. Yes. And they're linear. And, and so this, this pattern intelligence, which is very subtle, it's a really subtle intelligence. And when you start attending to it, it's, the, it's this kind of practice, this sort of body-led inquiry that really helps you to start sensing this kind of intelligence in things that are happening around you. And it is a really powerful, but very subtle, a subtle sort of intelligence. It's subtle and powerful. And this is the whole paradox again, which as you know, is very much part of archetypal traditions is, you know, the paradox, which also gets us out of this um, dualistic way of thinking. You know, how can the subtle be powerful? And yet, it's subtle and very powerful, more powerful than things that scream at us. Um, right. And this, this way of sensing reality as multidimensional experience, and I, and I feel that what this tradition gives to people, and this is what I hear, this is what I experience, is that ability to hold multidimensionality, that complexity. And I know I've been listening to philosophers and thinkers, especially in recent times, where they have been saying that what we're struggling with is our increasing inability to handle complexity. The more we go into um, social media and the more we go into these online channels as our main source of communication and interaction, we are really losing complexity. We, you know, we try to make everything into very simple things of yes and no, and do you agree or not agree? And, and that loss of multidimensionality is also our disconnection because reality, nature is extremely complex, multidimensional, subtle. And I feel that that's where we are so disconnected with the movement of reality, nature, our own body. Our body is multidimensional. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's a, it's a fragile, powerful, subtle, multidimensional site. And the interesting thing, Reverend Carol, is that the ancient Sanskrit word for body is kshetra. In fact, I'm doing... Um, my my current group courses is about the Kshetra body. What does it mean? And the word Kshetra also means earth. Mm. It also means the cosmos. So it is any site of manifestation is Kshetra. So the invitation was to experience body itself as the earth. That the earth isn't separate, that you don't have a relationship to earth, but right. you are the you earth. You are the earth, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's it's this is a this is a material experience. It's not a thought. Right. Yeah. Which which I'm thinking I'm thinking another thing that we're trying to do uh like when you talk about um how we're we we we're trying to we're trying to handle complexity. You know, we we try to name things and put them mm-hmm. in boxes. I I think a lot of we have a need to control. So we yes. have a need to control reality. We have a need to control data, and that's what's going on with all of the social media and everything that they're trying to do to get condense me down to some sort of consumer who has these interests and this situation and that, and and it's all labeled. And the reality is they'll never be able to do that because Mm -hmm. we are very complex, interesting, unpredictable beings. (laughs) And, And that's what I think. I'm thinking about the academic who said, well, I'm an academic. Why would I dance? I'm thinking, and I don't know him, and I'm presuming, and I know that it's I should not be making assumption about him, but I'm wondering if he's feeling like I lose control in dance. And so therefore, I, I can control everything as an observer, but moving in this, this space called dance, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's very, very frightening to a lot of people, I think. Yes, yes, I, I, I absolutely think that you're right, Reverend Carol. And I have, I don't judge that. So when I was sharing mm-hmm. that story, it was more to speak about the, the value that we hold for dance. And that's not just him. All mm-hmm. of us have that value. Uh, it's, you know, he's just an example. But I've heard that time and time again. I've heard that from even when I was a young child in India, my my not my own family, but a lot of my relatives used to say, "Why is she dancing? She's so clever. She should be going to university and doing something." Right. And I did go to <laughs> university, but you know, why does she want to choose dance as her life? Um, so there is this sense that if you're clever and intelligent, you're not going to be a dancer. That it is yes. really for those people who are intellectually not, um, you know, not bright. That they will dance, which is yeah, so far that. from the truth. <laughs> I, I get that. I get all of that. Yeah, it, it yeah. is. That's a yeah, yeah. And the control thing is absolutely uh, really at the center of this. The body. I think we are afraid of the body because the body brings us to a a, a certain truth. The body brings us to the the material truth about our existence that we live and we die in the body. You know, the body is changing, the body um, sometimes gets sick, and the body dies. And we have this terror. It's like the body brings us to uh, the reality that we are not immortal. I mean, we, you know, sometimes I, I meet people who say to me, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with dying. And I, th- and I, I sense that's a thought. But, mm-hmm, you know, dying mm-hmm. as this material experience of the body uh, you know, starting to change, starting to be what we think of as less strong or because we are, of course, always comparing it to what we were rather than thinking of each moment of that change as as the moment of reality. What What is the multidimensionality of each change? Um, and I think I can't remember where I read it, but I was reading um, somewhere in, in our discourses on aging 
they're constantly comparing ourselves to the 20 year old body or the 20 year old intelligence yeah. and and we say it's this everywhere. is a, this is a degradation or a decline but in many ancient traditions that, that was the age of coming into a certain wisdom a certain spiritual maturity and intelligence that in fact we we gain we are enriched rather than looking at what perhaps what we don't have anymore is what we don't need anymore but we have this other multidimensional present that we totally ignore because we're constantly living in the past but all of these things are about that we have we have a story that gives us a certain um a, a fantasy i would say of knowing that we know reality that we we have defined reality we have categorized we are masters of reality and if we are not if there's something that we don't know we will know it and sometimes i say that are you okay with the with the unknowable can can reality always be unknowable and there is an intelligence so when ancient traditions speak about mystery it wasn't that we need to go and solve the mystery and it also wasn't that you were stupid because you didn't solve it but that there is an intelligence and a ferocity that is required to live in mystery and many of these ancient goddesses were ferocious they were warrior goddesses not because they espoused war and violence but it was because you need that ferocity just like nature's ferocious we have thunderstorms and volcanoes there is ferocity in nature and there is ferocity in us and that is something again i feel like spiritual traditions have um washed us out of our ferocity yeah we've but been tamed without ferocity yes we've been tamed but we need ferocity to be present we need ferocity to accept this life this precious gift of life that we have that you know we will we will die one day that these things you know our bodies are what they are it requires ferocity to actually accept the material basis of our life which is our body our earth the beauty of that but also the fragility and and all of that is what is the intelligence of reality so i think the ferocity in this practice and the practice does have ferocity that's what supports the loss of control where we feel like we can't control it and there is this unknowable dimension that is always going to remain unknowable because it's yeah. infinite yeah it's so interesting so i i'm guessing that th- through our our social indoctrination and, and taming that ferocity is still there though it's like it's hidden it's it's in the basement of our psyche or our soul so it comes out probably in very very strange ways when it comes out but dance allows it to be expressed naturally i would think in in the way it's like meant to be expressed through the body but without that then you know there's all this misbehavior that we do and this kind of you know maybe war maybe you know, maybe it's just attacking people and all the things that we do it's it's kind of a misplaced way of using our ferocity which is a natural part of our being because we're part of the earth our body has that and it's and it's dances where where we're like are designed to ex- express ourselves in that way um, yes ab- yes absolutely and beautifully beautifully put reverend carol and and it's it's that it's that ferocity that underpins also things like passion because when you come yeah. into these ritual dimensions or archetypal dimensions everything is connected to everything else um i have a woman who i uh, in my individual program who beautifully put it she said 
the, the, the greatest teaching of the practice for her was how there was this completely unexpected joining the dots that happen at a sensation level. So how does ferocity connect to passion? How does ferocity connect to, um, to desire? How does ferocity connect to fear? In fact, fear and fearsomeness, there is a flow between all this. They're not uh, discrete emotions that are compartmentalized, but at a sensation level, they are, they are all interconnected and they're multidimensional. So when you are in one sensation, all the other sensations are also available to you. It's not to say that you should not feel fear and there is an opposite of fear, but along with fear, it's, it's like a lion or, a, or an animal that's attacked. When it's fearful, it's also at its most fearsome. So there uh -huh. is this, this flow between all these different sensations. And so much of the dance practice is actually about connecting to the essence of nature as creeper, as tree, as animals, and it's not imitating them, but there's something about the intelligence of the practice that connects us to through the essence of these, the animal consciousness. Um, and the essence is movement. It is how they connect to the earth with their bodies. So for example, there's a practice called Chatushpada, which literally means four-footed, but it also, the same word also means the four dimensions of consciousness. So there is something about connecting to four points of weight through the body that also brings us into that four-dimensional experience of consciousness, which normally we are always two-footed or, or dual in our consciousness, uh, yeah. you know, me and, and somebody else, you know, I and something else or good and bad and right and wrong. But there is something here that's not a literal imitation. So we don't literally imitate the animals, but we invoke that the way in the, the dynamic of movement in the body in, in this four-footed way, which completely awakens teaching from the body. So the body teaches us. It's not the mind teaching us. The body teaches us about sensation. The mind cannot teach us about sensation because the mind has divided the sensations into emotions and feelings and given those stories and given them, you know, good and bad values. So we're not never going to be experience that the infinity and the fullness and the multidimensionality of sensation, except through the body. Just, just like nature is multidimensional, the animals are multidimensional. And there's so much teaching that's available to us through the body, through nature, through animals. And one of the most moving things in this practice, Reverend Carol, is that if there is at all a relationship that we have, it is of, it's of teaching. So everything teaches us and we teach. When we are open to that teaching relationship, then we also teach all other forms of nature and we receive teaching from every little flower that opens, every little, I mean, there is a teaching of the scorpion that we do in dance, a really profound teaching of the scorpion. And as we know, the scorpion is a very ancient symbol across, you know, you, you'll find it in Egyptian culture, you find it on the pillars of Gobekli Tepe, the 12,000-year-old temple that's been discovered in Turkey. You find it in India, and there is a very profound practice of the scorpion or a teaching of the scorpion. So the most humblest things in nature teach us, and we are part of 
nature when we also teach, when we are taught and we teach. And that's that beautiful relationship with nature that we are. We don't stand outside nature. We are not masters of nature. And we do so at great peril to ourselves, mm -hmm. firstly to ourselves. So I, I just, I'm just guessing everybody who's listening to this is like, I want some of that. What, <laughs> what, what do you do? I mean, you, you're in Australia, so yes. uh, I'm, I'm sure you have, you're, you're, you're teaching people who are there. What do you have a way to, to teach people who are not there? So all my offerings are online, Reverend Carol. Um, mm -hmm. I do group classes, which are, uh, which are. So the, the group classes are live online and I have people from all over Australia. I do have people from different parts of the world as well when they can um, fit themselves into the Australian time. But uh, the, I also offer the individual program, which can, which can be done at uh, people's convenience because it's where I practice with uh, women one-on-one -on -one for six months and they choose a deity or a goddess because I feel like the goddess calls to them. It's that archetypal dimension of reality, nature, that's connecting to where we are in our own consciousness. So I, I invoke that goddess with them. I accompany them in their practice. Uh, and that's a six-month program that's available to anyone. And in fact, I do have women from all over the world uh, practicing with me through that program. I'm absolutely honored to meet some of those uh, wonderful women. And I also um, do weekly practices through my Facebook and uh, YouTube channels. So that's a really easy way. It's like a, if, if you just want to get a taste of what it is and what's the philosophy, some really simple practices, that's a great way of dipping your toes in and checking out if this is something for you. Um, people are also welcome to subscribe to my newsletter where I, I share whenever offerings come up. I am planning to put more courses online. So that's something I'm working on at the moment. So fully online courses where there is no life component. So there are a few different ways in which um, people can uh, do this practice. I, mean, I think that, I mean, right off the bat, I'm thinking, okay, how would you do a dance? So this is, for my, this is my Western thinking. How would you do a dance class online? <laughs> and But it's not a dance class. And um, it's not like you're critiquing anyone's movement, but it, it feels like it's something that we would do together. But I guess that's not, that's not right thinking. So how does it work? Like uh, I, would, it, it I would watch a video and then I would kind of just be inspired and, and move. It would be something like that. Yes. So when we are, it, I mean, it, you know, when we are in group classes, uh, mm -hmm. it's the, the invitation is always to encounter the form where you are. And, and to, so there is no mastery. It's not about getting the technique perfect. It's not yeah. about learning a piece of choreography. Right. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's, and, and it is sometimes it depends, you know, some practices uh, just the other day, I, I, one of the women in my individual program, we were practicing uh, what is it to hold desire enjoyment? Cause that's something women have really been, uh, it's become very problematic for women. And I don't mean um, the way in which, you know, traditions like the way in which some of the traditions of Tantra practice today, where there is a, um, a kind of instrumentalization of that desire. But I'm speaking about it at, at a very primeval level, that enjoyment, that desire, that um, the, the sense of beauty, the sense of sensuality within us, 
outside us in nature through scent, through seeing. So we were, you know, so as a practice, what I did was I, I shared a little, little invocation of, of that uh, uh, sensation through my, through my own body and my own movement. So that was just meant to inspire her. So my invitation to her was, look, during the week, just look at the video, see what it moves you to. Um, and, and, you know, I said, sometimes, you know, if you feel like going outside and just moving after that video, see what comes to you. And if nothing comes to you, it's fine too. Because the thing about dance, and particularly in this tradition of rasa, is that what, what happened is that even when you watch it, so long as you come from that intention to actually uh, to be open to it, you do experience it. That sensation is enlivened in yourself. And of course, recent neuroscience studies have spoken about mirror neurons and how watching movement, if you're open to that, can actually, in, in your body, in your brain, it actually works as if you are dancing yourself. So there are, and, and it's like these ancient traditions already had the intelligence about the way in which dance can uh, work in our consciousness and in our bodies, and it works on so many levels. So in some ways, the online um, work, I feel like it's completely suited to this because mm -hmm. it, it doesn't, it's across time and space. Right. And it brings women to an intimacy because they are in their homes mm -hmm. and, you know, they're not, they're not being distracted by anything. It's their private space, their, their home, they're in their caves, wherever yeah, they are. That. And there's mm -hmm. this, yeah, there's this beautiful intimacy and privacy, which is really what this practice is about. Yeah. It's not performing for anybody. <laughs> no, no. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, well, I I was really kind of interested when you were talking about um, the program where where a person will choose a deity, um, and I can't remember what else you said. Um, uh, maybe an archetype. It, it doesn't matter. What would that be like? Um, so, is that your what? Like, what are the deities that you would choose from? So I offer a a, a bit of a short list, but okay. Uh, Generally, generally, you know, if people come to me with a with a particular goddess, they they're usually related or they're usually uh, connected to one of the because the deities I have on the list are the pretty much the kind of the seminal constellations. So I, Kali, um, the Earth goddess Aditi, uh, which you know, which is the nature, a lot of aspects of nature, dimensions of nature will will come under that goddess. Rudra, who is uh, um, you know generally understood as male, but Rudra is that invocation of um, that ferocity, that primeval storm um, energy. Mm -hmm. So Rudra is like the storm god. Um, so, so there's Rudra, there's Saraswati, the goddess that is much more about aesthetics, about um, a, a, a much more intimate invocation of the feminine. Um, so there are so these are, you know, and Kali, of course, is very popular um, because she's much more well-known. And Kali, in fact, the ancestresses of Kali are some of the most ancient deities that are warrior goddesses. So it goes much more to that, um, to the, the way in which ferocity and uh, sensuousness coexist in the same constellation and a beautiful invocation, particularly for women 
in the times that we live in. Um, and so, so when the goddess calls to so generally, it's interesting, Reverend Carol, that when uh, women get in touch with me and say, I'm, I'm ready for the practice, often when the email comes, I have a flash about which deity they're going to bring. Oh, so we have a, we have a one hour, we have a, we have a chat, which is a free chat I offer for women to explore, you know, is it right for them? Uh, so it's a no obligations chat. And I, I always, almost always, I, I have an inkling about which deity they're going to, um, they're, which deity has called to them. And it's almost always the case that that is, that my intuition um, aligns with, um, with words. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because yeah. that's what the space is. It's an, it's incredible. And this guidance continues. So when I practice with women, there is incredible guidance. It, it can be in the form of dreams. Um, for example, one of the women I was practicing with, we were invoking Rudra. And um, there was this particular practice, uh, which is about the invocation of the bull. And, um, and it wasn't something that I had, uh, it was front of mind. So there was this one night where um, I kept hearing this, the, 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 the sound of the bull, the mooing of the bull, the bellowing of the bull. And I live in a fairly, uh, it's, 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 a near, it's a city area. There is a lot of um, a, a bush, as they say in Australia, very close to my house, which is why I love living where I live. But certainly no bulls around. And I woke up at night and I looked out of the window. It kept, I kept hearing this bellowing. And, and so then I woke up in the morning and I thought, the only thing is there's this practice. And, and I went to, um, so when I met this, uh, the woman for the, for the session, I did this practice. And she told me afterwards that that was exactly the practice she needed to move out of something that she was feeling a little bit constrained and blocked in, within her when she came to the practice and she said the practice was exactly what she needed to move out of that that sensation where she was and there are so many stories like this they're incredible sometimes it's a number plate a car number plate and oh, so the guide yeah, the guidance is I mean she I feel like the divine has a great sense of humor I um, think so too <laughs> That's fascinating, though. It is. It is. So there's an intimacy. um, There's a lot of generosity, incredible compassion, because it's not about mastery. It's not about achieving goals. But it's really, when I say unconditional freedom, it is about freeing ourselves from purpose, goal, mastery, from accumulation, including spiritual accumulation. I'm always amused at the word spiritual mastery. Because yeah. I think I think what we want is you know if if a freedom is should be unconditional to be free because right. if freedom is conditional upon um, getting to be masters of something or a technical expertise or having certain goals that's not freedom. Free, the unconditional freedom is freedom that is entirely from within yourself. It doesn't require you to depend on a teacher on an external guru on some sort of textbooks. It is, it is learning to recognize how the intelligence, the, the div- divine guidance comes from within you. Your body is the source of your teaching. Your body is your guru. Your body is the divine. 
And when we learn to recognize that, that is unconditional freedom, which is which doesn't depend on anybody outside giving us permission. It doesn't depend on anything outside coming to us. It is it's available to us all the time. All we need to do is to turn towards it. And that's that part of the sense of humor of the divine because we're always seeking and searching. And I don't think very few people have any idea what freedom is. We mm-hmm. talk about it a lot, yes. but we're so conditioned. We have no idea that so many of the things we do, the decisions we make, the activities we're in, just the just just like what you're saying, having a purpose and goals and mastery, <laughs> we're yes. so conditioned to that. We, we have no idea what freedom is. And, and we're also so conditioned to respond to authority figures and government and uh, corporations and being, we, you know, we, we, there's so many rules in our world and we don't know how to live as free people. We don't even have a sense of what freedom is. So I love this idea that freedom is right there in your body. It's right there. It's with you all the time. Yes, it is. And it's radical. Um, I love I love the work of the philosopher Jay Krishnamurti, and I often quote him. And he 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 was the word he used the word radical. Freedom is radical. Freedom and, is radical. Okay. Yes, and and a spiritual inquiry is radical. Um, and and it's radical because exactly because of what you said, the layers of we don't realize how many layers of enslavement we have. Right. Until we start this inquiry. And, you know, when we say that that freedom is located within us, the layers that we have to let go, that brings us into an awareness. And that is, again, what I hear women say all the time. Oh, my God, I didn't realize how within me, it's not outside. Right. <laughs> Our enslavement doesn't begin. It's not outside. It's actually within us. Um, the way in which our minds enslave the body, the way in which our minds enslave our infinity, the way in which our minds enslave eternity, it's within us. It doesn't, we don't have to go very far away <laughs> from, <laughs> to, to experience enslavement. And, and, I, and time and time again, this is what women say. They say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that I was doing my own enslavement. <laughs> right. Wow. So I have to ask you, though, what about men? What can we do for men? Um, this is, you know, there's, again, anything that's body-led. And when I say goddess-led, it, there was no hierarchy there. And and I I use these words because in order to kind of differentiate them from what we're doing now, which is mind-led, which is masculine traditions, which right. are, when I say masculine, I mean mind-led. So we can be uh, uh, women and we can be living in very masculine paradigms, which we do, of course, the patriarchy is simply means we're very, we're living in very mechanistic mind-led mm-hmm. uh, pa- paradigms. And I, I think this is important for men and for women in equal measure. It's important for all in equal measure because we all have bodies and we all our bodies are capable of that intelligence and all our bodies are capable of reconnecting us with the earth, with nature. Um, what where I'm offering now is where I think my um, my experience is best suited. I do have men in my group programs, um, and one day I would like to open it up more. But I'm I'm I suppose I'm trying to do the best I can 
with um, the resources I have at the moment, with the experience that I have at the moment. But I have actually worked with men. And like I said, there are men sometimes in my group programs. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's wonderful. I mean, you you there's only so much of us that can go around. You've got your focus, but this isn't like an exclusive thing just for women. That's that's the point I wanted to make. The the body yeah. movement and the the dance and it's I mean, because if you go back and you look at those ancient tribal times, it's not just the men sitting back watching the women dance around the fire. They were all dancing. They were all moving. Yes. And so yes. it, it is something that is for everybody. And yes. um uh, so it, and if nothing else, to just start recognizing how much we're in our minds and how much, how much, how much we think freedom, how much we think freedom is having a purpose and goals and mastery. <laughs> I think that's yes, so funny that you yes. brought that up. <laughs> we we <laughs> think we're free when we have all these these things named and and, and accomplished, and then we'll be free. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, the fr- yeah. the first freedom we need is. Again, um, to use the beautiful words of Jay Krishnamurti, freedom from the known. Freedom from the known is the most radical freedom. Uh, and that means freedom from our, from our mind. And that's not to say the mind is a bad thing or the villain, but the mind in its right place is a great thing. But right now, we've got the mind uh, in a place where it's really not qualified to be. And I think that's, at the, that's the cause of our angst. And our suffering at the moment yeah. is that we are we are misusing the mind, and that's no fault of the mind. Um, it's just we're using the mind where it doesn't really have the intelligence to help us. And right. we do have we do have something else that is always there with the intelligence to actually help integrate us, expand us, and reconnect us. Um, but the other thing I do want to say, Reverend Carol, is uh, there there was a very they, what they, the, these traditions did have a role for women that was honored and acknowledged. It wasn't hierarchical. And this is the thing is we find it difficult to, to do this without hierarchy because we're living so much, you know, either you are in front or you're either you're leading or you're following. Um, mm. But there is, there, is a, there is a way in which you're neither leading nor following. And there was a way in which these ancient traditions, the dance tradition in particular, did honor women as the teachers, women as those who facilitated this practice, who held the wisdom of the practice, and without dishonoring men or anyone else. And that is possible. Um, and I know that uh, there are people that are, you know, archaeologists now and anthropologists who are speaking about societies which were completely non-hierarchical, but where women had an honored place. And in fact, it happens because women have that place of honor, that you can have something that is non-hierarchical. So that's important to acknowledge, acknowledge that particularly in the times we live in, that there is something about the honoring of that wisdom and of women's place in that wisdom that is important to creating these non-hierarchical spaces. Beautiful. Oh, this is wonderful. Um, I do, I, I think we could talk <laughs> for a lot longer, um, but I do kind of want to wrap it up. I, um, I, I, I just have another couple of things I want to cover because from your website, I, I, I saw you, you, you mentioned embracing feelings and meditation through feeling and so the the feeling part 
is the body, right? Like our feelings mm-hmm. are in our body. Mm-hmm. And and so, so much of our meditation that we do where we're avoiding feelings <laughs> mm-hmm. or all of the activities you do avoiding feelings is we're, we're, we're really missing the mark. But this, what you're doing is helping people because when you're in your body, you're feeling your feelings, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you're, so dances, dances, is an activity of the body. So feelings are going to come up. I mean, this is something that I think, again, we we want to control, but this is like we have to completely, it's wild, right? Like you have just allow all the feelings through the movement of your body to arise. Am, am I right about that? That's a really important question, Reverend Carol. So there is the, the ritual aspect of the practice the archety- that's why I really uh, give a lot of importance to the archetypal and the ritual, which, mm-hmm. which are really interconnected. Um, because there's a difference between a psychological uh, practice and a, a ritual practice, a, a philosophical inquiry. And I really like to make that distinction. A philosophical spiritual inquiry or a ritual inquiry, which for me is the same thing when you go into the body. And uh, the, psych- the psychological space um, because the feeling here we're talking about is really at the sensation level. So it's, it's almost like one level down from the, the, the psychological feelings that we have storied as anger. Right. And in fact, this is very much there in the architecture of what is called the rasa aspect of this dance, um, um, the dance practice that I do. It's, the rasa is very central to it. And rasa is... Um, is that is that experience of expansiveness? Um, you can call it the divine experience, that experience of the direct experience of the divine consciousness. However, you call it reality, nature. It's called rasa, and the the very architecture of rasa. I mean, I use architecture because I have to use it, but it isn't so set. But the the constellation of rasa, perhaps that's a better word. Um, it it. It is that level down from um, how we story the feelings as good and bad, as instrumental. And, and I'm saying there's a really important role for psychology and feelings. And uh, you know, as, I, as I just shared, I've, I've gone to counseling, I've used therapy in my life, and it's really important. Because when we are really distressed at the psychological level, that's not the time for a spiritual inquiry or a philosophical inquiry of this kind. That is the time to go and see a good therapist. Because okay. those, moda- those, those important modalities, <laughs> it's really important to distinguish that. Yeah. Because we have to come into this practice without an instrumentality. Because if we come here to solve something, we are still in that instrumentality. We are still very limited. We, we are only able to inquire when we are strong enough to do that. And it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect and strong but we just have to be prepared that this is not about solving my immediate situation, um, but this is about I am interested to inquire into the nature of sensation. I'm interested to inquire into the nature of the divine, into my unconditional freedom. What does that mean? How, what is this inquiry? I want to be unconditionally free. So that's, that's where this spiritual inquiry um, comes, into, comes into being. Um, and so it's, I think it's, it's important that this is not self-expression. 
Um, and, and a ritual is not about self. Any ritual isn't about self-expression. It is about, you know, that constellation exploring a certain dimension of our intelligence or consciousness that is divine, that we call divine. Like I said, it can be anything, reality, nature, that, that expansive part of ourselves, which is, which is there. We are infinite beings. Um, we are eternal. We are infinite. But that's not about living forever. But that is available to us as an experience in the moment. Wow. Okay, great. Uh, that's wonderful. I, I love just thinking that this is about being unconditionally free. Uh, you said that, say unconditionally free. I mean, who out there who's listening is interested in being unconditionally free? That's pretty amazing. Um, I want to give you the last words if you have anything that I didn't cover that you you want to talk about. Um, just want to give you the last 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 words. Um, the only thing I'd say, Reverend Carol, I, I feel like we've had thousands and thousands of years of spiritual traditions that have asked us to control ourselves, to, uh, to you know, to go out of the body, to transcend the body, to shut ourselves down from our senses. And, and I feel that that hasn't really got us to a great place. Look at it's where we are. It's gotten us where we are. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so I'm saying let's, let's give some other things a chance. Right. And these are also ancient traditions. Let's give a chance for ourselves to, to actually accept the gift of the beauty that we have been given through our senses, through the body, through this beautiful body that is there, that is the site of our life, that is there throughout our life. I get really emotional when I speak about this because here is our body accompanying us throughout our lives that is intelligent, that can connect us to the gift of this earth, this life that we've got, rather than trying to live remotely from this gift. Let's return to this gift and let's, yeah. let's just enjoy the beauty that is uh, available to us through our body and through this beautiful earth that we live in. And that happens through something else that's beautiful, and that is dance. Dance is the dynamics of beauty. Oh, and, and it's the dynamics of beauty that has nothing to do with our mind. It's, it, is most, it is the most primeval way that we connect to the movement of the wind, the trees, the bird song, and dance. It's all... It's all in the same realm. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Padma, for being with us. And I'd like to, I want to make sure that we get a link to your website, but also you mentioned your Facebook page and whatever else would get people who are interested in, in unconditional freedom <laughs> through the body uh, connected with you. Uh, I'll make sure I have that on our, our podcast page webpage for this episode. Um, I'm so grateful that that spirit led us to be together today. Uh, when you approached me, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so interesting. I'm just the luckiest person in the world being able to talk to such interesting people. And I, I think that what you have to offer is really a, it's a key or a gateway, I think, for I don't want to say solving problems. I actually kind of want to say I'm kind of returning to our original nature, our our original being connected with all of life and 
I think I think within us we're we have that yearning. We have that yearning. We don't really know what to do with it. And I don't think many people think, oh, I've got an idea. I think I need to be in my body and I think I need to engage in dance. And you've brought that to our attention today. And it's just so very, very important. Um, so thank you for your generous sharing today. Thank you, Reverend Carol. It's been such an honor. And you just used the most beautiful word, which is such a central word in this practice, the yearning. Um, in fact, the, the goddess is the yearning. And when we yearn, we meet her in that yearning. So it's again, it's never about achieving the goddess. But when we just turn towards our yearning, that, that is her, that is our divinity. Um, and so nature is yearning for us. We yearn for nature. And it's such a beautiful word. And you, you and when you use that, I just I just thought, yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm so honored to be here. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I I just think that um people like you, uh it's you're so important. Your work is so important to to give people, to give your audiences and to give people a glimpse into uh, ways in which we can actually return to a much more fullness of life than is um, than we are told is possible. Yes, yes. And I, I want to be a voice of hope uh, so that people have hope and, um, and an awakening and an expectancy of all good and, and um, just, just elevating ourselves to our divine self. And also kind of going in, yeah, I said elevating, that's kind of a, that's kind of like going up into the air. Let's go into our bodies and experience our divine self. Um, so thank you for this fabulous time together. And um, I'm just really looking forward to to seeing dance explode on our planet. Uh, I, can, I, can vision, I can envision it. I see it now. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about us, check out thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. We're a nonprofit corporation and depend solely on donations from people like you. If you find that you're benefiting from your listening, we encourage you to donate on our website, thespiritualforum.org. Our music is by Matt Nelson. Sound engineering is by Mark Jaschelski.